Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Great Lakes Stories, the podcast that tells the stories about the history, quirks, and gems of our Great Lakes. My name is Blair, and this week we're going to be talking about the arsenal of democracy. Now, I chose this topic because a few weeks ago I was watching the movie Ford vs. Ferrari, which is a fantastic film, by the way, if you haven't seen it. And in it, there is a scene that takes place in the Ford World Headquarters in Dearborn. Now, in this scene, Carol Shelby is explaining to Henry Ford II why they lost at Le Mans. And after Carol's explanation, Hank the Deuce brings Shelby over to the window where they could see the famous Rouge plant. Now, Hank says, In World War II, three out of five U.S. bombers rolled off of that line. In reality, production was happening between the Rouge and also the famous Willow Run plant. However, the point remains. Detroit used its industrial might to switch from producing more cars per year than anywhere in the world to making planes, tanks, boats, ammunition, and everything else needed to supply Allied armed forces. In fact, up to 80% of helmets were stamped in Detroit. That scene, by the way, ends with Ford telling Carol Shelby to go to war. And that they did. World War I ended in 1918, and the recovery from it was brutal. America's involvement had detrimental effects for years to come on the country. The Depression was a direct result, and the stories that had come back from the front lines for the duration of the war had a lasting effect on the American psyche. So the last thing Americans wanted now was to go back into Europe for another war, losing more friends and more family members. So while the First World War had ended more than 20 years prior, the memories were still fresh for Americans. And that's why, according to national polls at the time, 80% of Americans were not in favor of joining World War II, even though our allies were already at war. 80%! When's the last time you heard 80% of Americans agreeing on anything? That was the impact the First World War had. But once the U.S. officially entered World War II after Pearl Harbor, we committed beyond just soldiers on the front lines. American men, women, and businesses all pitched in. So I appeal to the owners of plants, to the managers, to the workers, to our own government employees, to put every ounce of effort into producing these munitions swiftly and without stint. With this appeal, I give you the pledge that all of us who are officers of your government will devote ourselves to the same wholehearted extent to the great task that lies ahead. As planes and ships and guns and shells are produced, your government, with its defense experts, can then determine how best to use them to defend this hemisphere. The decision as to how much shall be sent abroad and how much shall remain at home must be made on the basis of our overall military necessities. We must be the great arsenal of democracy. FDR said that on December 29, 1940, during one of his famous fireside chats, which was a weekly radio broadcast to the nation. However, when he said that, 
He wasn't intending for the United States to go to war. He was imploring the people of the U.S. to support our allies who were already at war. This would be done through supplying planes, ammunition, ships, and other things to our allies that they needed for the fight. Roosevelt impressed upon the nation to work for our allies as if it were our own country at war. But on December 7th of 1941, the United States was. Yesterday, December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. The attack on Pearl Harbor shook off the apprehension of joining the war on Americans and motivated them like nothing else could. People were encouraged to buy war bonds to fund the war, plant victory gardens to grow their own food, and ration things like coffee, canned goods, and rubber so the troops could have more on the front lines. FDR knew that it had to be more than just private citizens pitching in, though. The country needed manufacturers to completely transition to producing goods for the war and hit unprecedented production numbers while doing so. The president wanted 60,000 planes, 45,000 tanks, and 20,000 anti-aircraft guns. These are heroic numbers, especially considering the manufacturers tasked with making them had never produced anything like those before. Carousel companies were making gun turrets, a corset factory switched to making grenade belts, and a pinball machine maker converted to making armor-piercing shells. There was a ban on car and truck manufacturing, which turned the nation's assembly lines over to producing planes and tanks, and in record time. To aid in the willingness of these companies to make the switch, the federal government offered tax incentives and even advanced payments for retooling. This made working with the government very lucrative. But who could lead the charge to transition American manufacturing to aid the war effort? The American capital of manufacturing, that's who, Detroit. With companies like GM and Ford ceasing civilian vehicle production, they had the capacity and the expertise to efficiently produce vehicles at scale. In fact, William Knudsen, who was president of GM at the time, stepped down from his role to take over the job in the government of gathering American industrialists and working with them to make sure that all the war production needs were met. Now worth mentioning here is that this was the first time we saw the inclusion of women and African Americans in factories in production line roles. It was truly all hands on deck. I think we've all seen the Rosie the Riveter posters. Now while these roles were short-lived, they laid the groundwork for future conversations about racial and gender equality in these types of jobs. Now, in researching this topic, I can't help but draw parallels between the incredible manufacturing effort put forth by the Motor City during World War II and the retooling some of our automakers and small businesses have made today during the pandemic. Industrial plants all the way down to microbreweries have retooled to produce masks, PPEs, ventilators, and even hand sanitizer to help fight the war on COVID-19. But just like in 1941, we all have to play our part. Social distancing, wearing masks in public, and just plain old washing your hands will all help reduce the number of cases we see in our communities. Make sure you support your local businesses that are helping to fight the pandemic to ensure that they have the resources to continue pushing forward.
I know the weather's improved and places are opening back up, but we have to do our part together and win this war. This is Great Lake Stories. Do you have anything you'd like to hear more about from around the Great Lakes? Send me an email at blair at greatlakesproud.com. That's B-L-A-I-R at greatlakesproud.com.